This is a podcast about new crops. You're going to love it. Join us on The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. Since all my customers are at market, all I just do is give them a leaf. And that's all you have to do to sell it. Um, and give it to their kid, that's even better yet because they'll freak out that their kid's eating a vegetable. Uh, welcome to The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. And today we're shifting gears quite a bit to talk about a more of a specialty crop, a vegetable crop, and that's spinach grown in a high tunnel over the winter months in Wisconsin. Uh, excited to talk about this because I think there's a lot of potential and we know that these high tunnel greenhouses are popping up all over the place. So, uh, so we have two guests today, um, Chris Duke with Great Oak Farm and Bill Warner with uh, Snug Haven Farm. Do I have that right, Bill? Correct, you do. All right. And joining me is Ashley Olson, our co-host from Vernon County. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Jason. Good to see and hear everybody again today on the podcast. Looking forward to learning a lot here about winter spinach um, and growing crops in the high tunnel, especially uh, we kind of had a little dose of winter last week cold weather huh frost for us which is you know i suppose average in the normal times but these days with climate change we haven't had frost this early in september for a while for a number of years so let's just start with introductions uh chris you want to introduce yourself and uh where you're located what kind of farming you do and when you you know your involvement with winter spinach sure so uh yeah, this is Chris Duke from Great Oak Farm. We um, we have about 12 acres of certified organic produce that we grow out um, up in the the, the Great North Woods. Uh, we're about 12 miles south of Ashland, Wisconsin. So not too far from Lake Superior, uh, about as far north as you can go in the state. Um, and uh, for winter production, we have um, three uh, 30 by 96 high tunnels. Um, or the, the, the equivalent of, we have two, two 30 by 96, and then we have two smaller ones that, that combine to make up the, 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 the footprint of a 30 by 96. And we're also in the process of putting up a, another 30 by 96 um, as well this fall. So uh, really trying to maximize the, the return on investment, I think, in those high tunnel structures. Um, they're pretty spendy you know, somewhere is between 10 and $15,000 worth of materials. And um, it, it's, it's, it's really a loss to just let that investment go uh, and sit idle through the winter months. Um, it should be trying to, trying to do something for us. So yeah, that's where I was uh, mostly excited about winter spinach production and um, participated in a, in a trial, uh, was that 2017, Jason? Yeah, 16, 17, 15, 16, 17. Okay, yeah, a, a trial with, uh, with extension, starting to look at um, how to sort of, is there a better way to do winter spinach in a, in a high tunnel and we'll, with, uh, with addition of heat and light. Um, and we'll probably talk about that more later, I guess. But um, now we are just growing it unheated, un, unlighted, um, yeah, in tunnels. Great, thanks, Chris. Bill, can you introduce yourself? 
Yeah, hi, my name's Bill Warner from Snug Haven Farm. I, along with my wife, Judy Hageman, own Snug Haven Farm. Uh, I put up my first hoop house. Well, Chris, you were probably born, but I put up my first hoop house in 89 or 90. Um, oh, yeah. And started growing spinach in the winter in 95. And um, I just, um, actually, I don't grow anything in a high tunnel because if you put them up before 10, 15 years ago, they were called hoop houses. So. I don't do too high high tunnel growing. That's I right. do hoop house growing. Um, but anyway, um, by 2008, and Chris, you'll probably get there. It, it's it's kind of like I like any addiction. You know, five wasn't enough, so I needed seven, and now I'm <laughs> up to 13. And uh, I 13. actually, I've well, I have the equivalent of uh, yeah, I have the equivalent of 14 12 by 95s or 12 by nine or 30 by 96s. I mean or 30 by 95s, there's some of each. And um, in 2008, I haven't put any up since 2008, but that put us almost to an acre. And we would fill them all, except for half of one, we'd fill them all with spinach all winter. Um, wow. And then, like, really, I don't, I kept saying that I'd probably be better off just growing in the winter and not even in the summer. And this year, we actually did it just because we weren't sure how our markets were going to go. We got set. We're, we're prepping everything for the winter. Um, so I really don't. The only outside vegetable I had this year is garlic. And it's not all that much. And last year, I think the only outside crops we had were uh, garlic and peppers. So I really like the protection of the hoops. Um, but now with, when we had got hit with uh, spinach downy mildew three or four years ago, two years in a row, that was doing a lot of damage, really hard to control. So we cut our, we, we slowly cut our, our spinach production down and we're about now, we're doing about, uh, we're at about 50% of it spinach and the rest is carrots, um, collard, kale, chard, turnips. Um, I think that covers most of it. And that stuff is just like spinach, the more it freezes, the sweeter it gets. So, but that's what we're doing right now so oh there's so much to talk about where, where to start i just have a million questions just from your intros um maybe we should start with because we've probably got a lot of listeners to our podcast that are more field crop folks so we should talk a little bit just about the high tunnels and maybe just let, i'll throw out kind of my my uh, overview and if you guys have anything to add so um i would say the big difference between a hoop house and a high tunnel is just the the frame shape. I think the, when these started out there, they literally were hoops. They look like Quonset style half moons out on the landscape. And then we've more or less moved to these Gothic arch uh, frames with a peaked roof. And for whatever reason, that kind of become, became known as a high tunnel, I think. But essentially these are uh, metal frames, usually, usually galvanized steel. The steel is supposed to last 30 years. And then you put a plastic uh, layer over the top, sometimes two with a blower fan for a little more insulation with roll-up sides and doors that open on the side for ventilation. Sometimes there are vents at the top, but once you start adding more bells and whistles like uh, gable end vents or any sort of heat, then we start to call them greenhouses. And there's, you know, kind of a gray area between what's a greenhouse and what's a high tunnel. But generally a high tunnel is considered a simple structure with plastic over the top that gives you some season extension, fall and spring, and uh, better protection from uh, herbivores, deer and rabbits, and thunderstorms and hail. And so is that, do I have that about right in terms of what's a high tunnel? Would you add anything more to that for folks that might not be familiar with high tunnels? Well, 
I might have said wrong earlier that I don't think there's any difference between a hoop house and a high tunnel except when you started building them. You know, I right. think they're still the same structures. It's more that they didn't call anything a high tunnel, I think, until Haygrove started doing their high tunnel things. Before that, everything was a hoop house. So I think it's just if you're an old fart like me, you're used to hoop house. You've been saying hoop house since 1990. So it's I'm never going to say high tunnel. Gotcha. Chris, anything to add? Oh, I would just say that also the nice thing about the hoop house for us or high tunnel, whatever you want to call it, is, um, yeah, protecting it against snow um, and and uh, not just, you know, wind and rain and that kind of stuff. But a lot of times we're getting our tunnels planted in the spring when uh, there's still quite a bit of snow on the ground um, getting started planting in, you know, March. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the sidewalls can be four feet high of snow, you know, um, that slid off. And, and I, the, I, would, I would also say with the, um, the structure of the tunnel, uh, we've really gone toward um, liking the ones with the peaked roof because they shed snow better than the round roof ones. The round roof one, the snow kind of slides down and then it sort of wants to build up around the, around the, the, the arch of the, 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 the tunnel structure. But the, the, the gothic peaked roof, roof, it sheds snow and then it drops straight down. And, and it's, it's a lot easier to just move out with a loader and, um, and then also let more more light, you know, come in um, into the house because you know the sun is such a such a low angle in the winter time. That's a that's a precious commodity. So really try and not let the let the snow get higher than you know three feet or two feet along the outside, so that we can still let lots of light in. Gotcha. Talking here. So, oh, go ahead, Ashley. As we're talking about structures. Uh, one thing I comes to mind uh, where I am located over here on the western southwestern side of the state in Vernon County, um, the high tunnels we have, I think in Vernon County, the most um, in the state that were partially funded or maybe fully funded through NRCS, the Natural Resources Conservation Service. And as we're talking about the structures, maybe we can talk a little bit about the cost of them too and maybe that's down the line but are did either of you you've been doing this many years uh utilize the nrcs at all when constructing your high tunnels or hoop houses um we did yeah at, at great oak farm we got a cost share for an nrcs tunnel yep when it first came out i don't think i had really hardly any other unbroken ground because i was just farming mainly in hoops and you had to put it on ground that was already broken uh, that you were already farming. So I, I, I really wasn't, well, I probably would have been eligible, but already having 13 of them, I didn't think I'd be very high on the priority list. Yeah, there's, there's lots of them going up. I just was thinking about that. If we have listeners that uh, have heard of that through, through the NRCS. So interesting to know. So let's um, maybe walk us through your production cycle. You know, when do you start seeding or planting, transplanting the spinach? Uh, what what do your harvest schedules look like over the winter and spring? And then when do you usually tra transition out of spinach into your next crop in the spring? So, Bill, do you want to start? Yeah, I'm just about done planting all my spinach right now. Um, we just use an earthway seeder to plant our spinach. Um, 
Just an editor's note here, as these guys talk about their spinach production, we recorded this podcast on September 15, 2020. So, Bill was almost done by September 15. And I, I let's see, what's the date today? I started uh, a week ago Monday planting. And uh, when we plant, we either put uh, shade cloth or silo bags over the top of the hoop so that the spinach germinates better. Um, before we knew a lot about it, we'd lose a lot of germination to heat. And so we get really good germination with uh, shade cloth or silo bag. Our shade cloth is about 60%. Um, that, that works better, but the silo bag, when it's like 90 in August and you're making beds, it's, it's fairly dark and cool in there. There's no sun getting through. Um, the silo bags are the bags you see on the side of the road at dairy farms or beef farms. You know, the, they're white on the outside, black on the inside. So that's how we put them over our hoop. And then um, we'll start, what I planted last week will probably, we only do, we only like to harvest really big leaf because it's a lot more efficient. Um, they taste just as good as the small leaf. Um, why waste our time? People ask for baby and I'm like, you realize how much more I'd have to charge you for baby? Because you're, <laughs> right. I feel like you're wasting your crop, you're wasting growth, you're wasting a lot of that. So we like doing everything big. Um, and so, um, We'll start harvesting. Well, we, I'm probably the only farmer down here that really is looking forward to frost in the spring, late frost in the spring and early frost in the fall, you know, because really it's the cold that makes the spinach good. I mean, our best tasting spinach is in January, February, because um, it's been cold for so long. Um, I kind of put it on a bell curve, you know, it's just really good spinach in November and May or late April. I'm sure for Chris being up in the in the Arctic North up there that you know your sweetness comes a little lasts a little longer but um, and then it's uh, too good to be called spinach you know in December and the other end of the bell curve and it's exceptional and phenomenal in in January and February um, but then we'll um, we used to do row cover over everything but we don't do that anymore we now use um, what I call a substructure I got an idea from John Berenbaum at Michigan State, and I redid a little redesigning different. But basically, when you have as many hoops as I do, you always have plastic around. And so on the inside, about two feet from each end wall, you retake, um, we take uh, an electric conduit. And it bends real easy with a bender, and anybody can do it. It's just a hand bend, 90 degrees. And we build a structure that's either four foot high or five foot high. And it's, it's all but it's 26 foot wide instead of three or 30 foot wide. And it goes almost the full length. And then we'll cover that with, with old plastic. Um, we get a little more light, I think, than the roll cover. And it, it heats up quicker, stays warmer longer. It gets just as cold, which we want in the winter. because. Um, but the one problem with that is it's very hands on. Because um, the heat in the winter can ruin the taste of the spinach as much as the cold can make it better. So it's a lot of, it's almost like dairy farming. You can't really leave the farm. You don't, well, you can be gone, but you don't know which days. If it's cloudy, you don't need to do anything, but if it's sunny. But we'll start, we usually start our, C, we have a winter spinach share, but now we've made it a winter CSA type thing. And Bill, just, just cutting in real Bill, just a quick question yep. before we move on here. So the structure that you're building inside the uh, high tunnel, would it be fair to call it like a, a, a low tunnel within the high tunnel? 
Like it's a smaller greenhouse. Yeah, except it's, it's it's flat across the top. At we used to uh, conduit comes in ten foot, so you cut it in half and you got a five foot post for the height, but you pound it in the ground a foot. Um, so it's about four foot high, and it just is flat across. Then you can get other conduits and mix and match them so you can slide them back and forth, and you put a brace pole in the middle. Um, I have pictures of that from other presentations, but I. I I don't know how I get it to you now. I guess I could forward a PowerPoint, but um, and then so that's my second layer of plastic. And what's really neat in there is, I mean, I had I didn't kind of read your study very much, but I would never heat to grow spinach. I I just can't see it paying. Um, maybe your numbers. That's why we have universities do research for us and people like Chris, hopefully doing the work. But um, so light light is far and away the number one thing. I mean. Heat's fairly irrelevant in January, February for, I shouldn't say irrelevant, but um, it's a lot warmer under there and you get more light than the roll cover and I can put my heater under there. So when we're the size we are, my employees are going to need to start cutting even in January if it's below zero at like 10 o'clock. And it sure takes a lot less heat. When I did read your study, I didn't know where you'd put the heater. If you're heating the whole hoop house, man, did you spend a lot on propane. Um, well, Chris, I suppose the university spent it for you, but no, um, we we actually just heated the top, the um the bed, so it was it was one one oh. bed at a time. Yeah, with with a little uh, inflator tube that ran down the bed, oh. it, and then yeah, and then each of the three beds was heated to a different degree. Yeah. Did you have roll covers over those then? Yeah. Correct. Yep. Oh. Okay, so you, you retained a lot of the heat, yeah. But um, the the five foot high one, you can, it's easy to go under to pick collagen kale. Uh, the four foot one works for spinach because you're kind of hands and knees harvesting anyway. So, but I, I do like the five foot one more and more. But I think my ground warms up faster. Um, and when I was talking with uh, Matt Kleinhentz from Ohio State University, I don't know if he's extension there, but um, it used to seem if in the cold winters, I would go and thaw my spinach first thing in the morning and it take run my heater for about an hour, which cost me about a buck 50. And I would do that in each hoop. And it seemed like my spinach just did better. And he was saying the photosynthesis, there's really almost not a lot, enough light for two of those months. And the damage comes if you can't use that photosynthesis. And so, I've had, I have hardly any damage compared to what I used to have as long as my spinach thaws out every day. Hmm. And with that substructure unit, it thaws out a lot quicker and it probably is using the sun better and getting less damage. I so don't know Bill, if when you, too far, but... If you've planted here by, you know, mid-September, it's what, September 15 today, um, when would be your first harvest off, off that bed and how often will you harvest it? And then when, when will be your, your last harvest typically? Off a bed. Um, well, with as many hoops as I had, when I planted them all, my first harvest would be late October, maybe a little bit to farmers market a little earlier, just for a little more cash flow. But our CSA would always start the first or second week in November, and that's where, at one point, we were doing about 200 pounds a week to that, and about 150 pounds, 200 pounds a week to market, and a little bit to restaurants. But the main and it's really start doesn't it tastes better in late October, but it doesn't really start tasting really good until November. 
Um, my, I don't have end walls on my end at that point, so I'm trying to get it to freeze as much as possible. Um, I really don't put my substructure over. I'm not answering your question. I should run for office. I'm doing good at yeah. that. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, I, uh, so I'll go back to the question. Um, we'll harvest some of the hoops as late as early May. Again, the spinach, by that point, I tell my winter customers that it's not going to taste as good, but I got to charge as much because all of a sudden now we're going out to the farmer's market, the largest one on the largest market in the United States. And I've got all these people who haven't had spinach for six months and they taste it and say it's the best ever. And we're kind of thinking it's the bottom of the barrel. But right. um, so we have harvested into May, early May. Um, it's, it still really tastes good in mid to late April if you can keep it cool enough as long as possible. Gotcha. But usually when I had all those hoops, you take out the worst germinating hoops earlier and you plant lettuce in or you plant carrots in and you slowly take out the worst hoops and just keep the best one. Um, I still have one more hoop to plant. I don't think my kind of my rule of thumb down here, and I, I know Chris's would probably be a little different, but if I plant like last week, that'll be ready for Halloween. If I plant this week, it'll be ready for Christmas. And if I plant next week, it's ready in February or March. Uh, Chris, what is your, what is your pr production cycle look like? Yeah, so uh, we are um, growing quite a bit of other crops in the hoops um, during the summer. So it's definitely uh, a balancing act of when do we pull tomatoes or cucumbers or peppers and, and get, you know, get spinach uh, seeded. Um, but usually, uh, li like Bill, I, I kind of start the end of August and then try and wrap it up by the third week of September. And um, yeah, the, the different successions, it, it's amazing what, you know, seven days will do in, in the fall, uh, you know, it's, uh, waiting seven days in between plantings. It's like way different than in the spring, you know, waiting seven days. Sometimes those plantings almost catch up with each other, but yeah, in the fall, as the light and the heat just drops away, those, yeah, they grow so slow. So, yeah, the the, the early planted stuff, um, well, I should back up. The other big variable for us is the weather because, you know, uh, last week it was in the 50s and, um, and for the high and cloudy um, with the lows right about frost. And um, then um, that's, that's, actually decent weather for germinating spinach but sometimes it's too doggone hot and that soil in the in the in the hoop houses has it's just warm to the touch you know when you're getting ready to seed so um that's you know another thing that that we try and do is wait until that soil is cooled off a little bit before we seed so like bill said we get a little bit of germination and and um, when we're getting ready to seed we'll we'll open up that the ends of the hoops and roll up the sides at night and so try and get that place cooled down as quick as we can sort of the opposite of what you're doing um you know for the summer crops the, the heat loving crops but in general yeah putting it in you know sometime about early september give or take you know two weeks plus or minus and then um first harvest starting to come you know uh right about October to November. And, but just like Bill, I mean, uh, we, our, our, our main bulk of the harvest comes 
yeah, later, uh, March, it's really kicking in. Um, once we get past March 15th, you can almost you kind of put it on your calendar. It's, it's going to be waking up March 15th. And then, then after that, we'll be picking pretty steady all the way through uh, that first week of May. And then we are, um, we're also juggling, you know, when to terminate that crop and, and dig it under and, and transplant the, the next crop because we're trying to max out the production we can on the spinach before it's getting ready to bolt. But at the same time, we need to get, you know, the next season's crops in the ground. So yeah, in general, I think we have a pretty similar uh, harvest season of a little bit in November and, and then some in December, January as well. But for us, it's so dark and cold that mostly we're just using our, our spinach uh, in that high tunnel. It's just sort of sitting in sort of like in the walk-in basically. And then once um, we don't have any substructures inside or, or any way to heat it up. So once the sun comes out and, and, and warms that tunnel up to about 34 or 35, I can go out and start picking and that, that, that spinach is thawed out and it's ready to go. So uh, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'll just make one comment on the germination for the listeners because that is a huge part of the puzzle for this. Um, with spinach germination, the optimum is about 55 to 60 degrees. And if you, even if you get above that temperature for an hour, the enzymes in the, in the seed start to break down and you lose that, that seed in the germination. So that's why you know, direct seeding in the high tunnel can be so risky in the fall because you get one hot sunny day and, and you're done. Uh, and in the fall, you don't really have much room for error, like these guys said. If the difference between a week could mean picking spinach in the fall versus picking spinach in February, so I think you know, Bill, yeah. your comments about ma managing that soil temperature is, is so important. And Chris, I think you've kind of learned as you've gone too about just how important it is. And, you know, some people have gone. I know they'll 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 start their um, in flats and then transplant. Is that something either of you have done, or is it just not worth it? Done it a little bit, um, but. It's so time consuming. Um, but uh, the other thing is a lot of times in the fall, we're bought out of soil mix and we've already went through our, <laughs> our, our, our two totes. And so it's like, ah, uh, geez. So trying to, um, I mean, yeah, a couple of times we did, but you know, then it's like 50 to 75, you know, 128 cell flats. And that only does like half a hoop house. You know, I mean, it's like when you're spacing them out every every four inches, that's that's a lot of hands and knees work. Whereas we normally seed with a jang seeder, uh, a three row jang. So we'll do one pass up and then scoot over and come one pass back. So there's there's six rows across a bed, and each one is is spaced just far enough apart for those hose, those little hose, stirrup hose from Johnny's. Um, to fit right, I think there may be like a, a three inch wide uh, scuffle hoe, but that fits just right down in between. It's almost like a, 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 a row of spinach about every six inches then across that bed. And, um, and so one trick that, that we've done to help germination, particularly in, in, uh, in September, because I mean, we can have temps today it was about 80 <laughs> and then last week the high was 50 and it was cloudy so yeah that makes a huge difference but we've we've adjusted the brush on the jang um to ride higher than than it normally would uh with with most other crops so it's not articulating a single seed 
per divot in the roller um, that it's it's pouring out you know two to three seeds per divot so we can kind of make up um, for you know potentially spotty germination and then if it comes in too thick we can always thin it out that's not a big deal um while, while we're harvesting uh but then there's also going to be some you know it's mechanically cultivated with a hoe so there's you're going to take some plants out every now and again whether you like it or not so a little cultivator blight but if you if you plan ahead and, and have maybe a little thicker seeding than than you had anticipated uh that doesn't leave you with you know all of a sudden somebody moves their hoe wrong and, and takes out 12 inches of spinach, then, you know, you're not, you're not in trouble. Um, so the, the other thing that, that we've done this year that has been really great is paying attention to those warm days and turning on the overhead irrigation in there for an hour or two, um, maybe three it, during the, during the hottest part of the day, middle of the day, turn the irrigation on um, and just do that. Uh, regardless of you know if if that spinach is just starting to germinate or or even it, even if the ground is pretty wet in there um, just to help cool it off a little bit and that seems to help a lot um, I like Bill's idea of uh, of using the shade cloth and, and even those those silage bags over top I think that's that's another really great idea that I like to try gotcha. um, Jason, I want to step in a minute. You had said something about the temperature on the germination. Um, what I have found out, and maybe it's because of the sun, but with this, with the shade cloth or the silo bag, it can be 80s out, and I'm not worried about the germination. It's, I think, the sun hitting the soil directly is, you know, really heats up that soil. Where the temperatures, if you know, if it's 80 out, I'm not worried as long as my shade or silo bag are on. Right on. Yep. Um, okay, so let's shift to varieties. Um, so with, in cooperation with Chris and some other growers up in the Ashland area, we ran a series of trials, as Chris said, 2015 through 2018. One of the things we did was uh, a variety trial and we looked at, I believe it was, if I remember right, six different varieties, which is, you know, there must be at least 50 or 60 varieties of spinach, so, and you just can't do it all. But, um, you know, we found that Corvair and Renegade seemed to do the best, uh, both for picking ease, overall production, so can both of you talk about varieties that you've, you, you prefer and, and how you've kind of come by which varieties that you use? All right. Um, well, I've, um, I always try to go with the darkest green Savoy or semi-Savoy I can get. Um, now, of course, I look at the spinach downy mildew numbers too, but it seems like whenever I find a variety I like, about a year later, it goes out of sale. And I would talk to Johnny's about this and they said basically, you know, he said years ago that um, it's all done for California, all the spinach seeds made for California and they got downy mildew so they have to keep, keep switching varieties. He said they ship it seed out, they ship seed to California by semi and to Johnny's by UPS. Um, <laughs> and so not, so we'll get the crumbs. So usually when I find a kind I like, Spargo and Springer were my favorite. Um, one they quit producing about 10 years ago and the other one five years ago and I just ran out of it. Um, I buy about, I try to buy five years worth of it and put it in the freezer. Um, and then I, now I'm, I'm my favorite, my favorite one, best one ever is, was Spargo or Springer, whichever was second. And I'm out of that. So I've been using Carmel for a while. Um, 
the regiment, or did you say regiment or renegade? Uh, renegade. Yeah, they didn't seem as quite as dark if I remember right. So, but then you always have to try some others. And I was working with John Navazio for a while at Johnny's when he, he was a spinach breeder. He's not doing that anymore. He's doing more of the kale and collards and going for the shoots and sprouts. But um, so with, I'm just planting less and charging more. It's kind of a cool system when you get everybody addicted. Um, just to, but I, right now I'm going with caramel. I've done a little bit of Tasman and the new kind I've tried. You got to keep trying new kind every year because you never know when they're going to pull, pull caramel off the shelf. Um, is Colroby or I haven't looked it up. It's Colibri. 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 Okay. So this is the first time I planted that. It's a real tiny seed. What do you do with all the different sizes of seed that you get with your Jang seeder there, Chris, to plant? I mean, those yeah. were tiny and the other ones were huge. Right. Yeah. The cool thing about the Jang is we just used the same 24 uh, cell roller, you know, to, to seed them out, but you can adjust that brush high and low. So when the seed's real big, you jack that brush way up. When the seed's real small, you can bring it down to where it's it's almost touching that roller. And yeah, it'll handle, it is amazing though that you, you make a good point. I mean, the, the spinach, some of it's twice as big as the other stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Chris, what varieties are you using these days? Yeah, so um, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit stuck. I feel like I'm, I'm starting over right now because Corvair and Renegade, man, those two just cranked it for me and nice big leaves, fast, easy picking. Um, like Bill said, not quite as dark green, but the, the, the Renegade I liked quite a bit because um, it's a more flexible leaf. So when it's spinning dry, it, it doesn't tend to break or crack. Um, Sometimes that, that winter spinach is so thick and, and it, it, when you're spinning it dry, it wants to, wants to break. But yeah, Renegade was great and Corvair was great. Both of them, we could put them in in the fall and they, they wouldn't want to bolt. Um, I mean, they would just keep going. We get many pickings off them. And then last year, we got hit with the downy mildew. And um, I, was, I was looking at the, the resistances you know, resistance packages that both of those have. We're pretty much all either Corvair or Renegade. And um, yeah, both of them were uh, susceptible to 12 and 14. So twice we sent in samples to figure out which race we had. Both times the samples were in too bad a shape by the time they, they, they got tested. So they couldn't tell what one it is, but it's it's gotta be either 12 or 14. So this year started out with uh, um, trying a bunch of different spinaches that were resistant to 12 and 14 and um, yeah, rolling the dice. We tried the Aztec, um, Sioux and Apache. It didn't like those at all. Um, they, they, they really wanted to bolt for me. So uh, like Bill, I have some Calibrian now, um, some lizard and uh, good old space. We've had decent success with space before. It's okay. It's, it, it, it doesn't really seem like it, it wows me, um, but it seems pretty steady. We've had decent luck with um, kookaburra in the past. Uh, some years that seed's sort of hard to get, so I haven't consistently planted that one. Um, other varieties that we've tried have been like red kitten, um, and that one is, is really cool, but it just wants to hug the ground. It, it never wants to lay up 
it, it wants to lay down flat on the ground. It doesn't want to want to stick up in the air. And especially for the winter, you need a spinach that's going to be pretty erect. So those leaves are up off the ground. There's airflow down there. They're, they're staying cleaner. They're, you know, not getting damaged. Um, so yeah, I, I will, I will definitely try some Carmel next year, Bill, and see how that one does up here. The Carmel is a little lower to the ground too. Um, okay. But um, the one thing about, I mean, my, I, not knowing a lot about spinach downy mildew is, you know, if you don't grow it on your place for a while, for like a month or two, you're not, it's not supposed to stay around. Mm -hmm. So my theory is it's going to always be around and the races are going to change. So you might want to try Renegade again. Oh, I mean, sure. again, that's, I'm not an expert at it, so don't call me if it fails, but um, just tell me I'm smart if it works. You know, <laughs> <and this. laughs> the the downy mildew, I just jumping in here that it, I would agree. I think by far it's the biggest limitation on winter spinach production in the high tunnels because it'll wipe, wipe out a patch and it goes fast. And it's a, it's a water humidity loving fungus. Uh, and so in the, you know, in the high tunnel, it's the humidity is really high, especially during the day when the sun's out and it's hard to ventilate the high tunnels in the winter because you're pulling in 30 below air, which isn't always a good thing. Um, and so, and there's, it, it's evolving all the time. So there are all kinds of different races of, of downy mildew. I think there's 16 or 17 now that have been identified. New ones seem to emerge every couple of years. And so the, each of the varieties will have a, um, uh, and characterization of its resistance. So which of the races it's resistant to. And so that's why the breeding is always having to stay ahead of the, the fungus. And so the varieties change a lot. So it, there is, you can have your downy mildew tested and it's definitely recommended to figure out what race came in that year and then make sure you're the next year planting varieties that are resistant to it. And there is even in the research community, some, it's not entirely clear where this is coming from in the winter. In the Northeast, they were doing winter spinach for a while, and then all of a sudden, downy mildew show, showed up, you know, in New York State and just wiped them out. And there's questions, is it coming in with the seed? Uh, is there some movement, um, you know, or over, over wintering, or I should say over summering in this case, right? Is there some residual? So it's definitely something that the research community is trying to better understand this pathogen because there's a lot of potential winter spinach, but not if it's getting wiped out with that. Mildew, and nobody wants, you can spray fungicides, but nobody wants to do that uh, in the winter and a fresh eating crop like that. So that's just not really an option. Mm -hmm. But, um, so how are you, are you guys harvesting by hand? In our trials, you know, we had to hand harvest individual leaves just because of the way we're picking. But are you guys using scissors? Or are you using the salad mix harvesters? How, how are you doing your harvesting? Uh, we're just picking by hand. And, you know, that was something that I, I, I really, um, was a big eye opener for me with winter spinach production before the trials I always just would you know cut across the ground with a knife and always had my eye on or, or scissors and had my eye on one of those those quick of greens harvesters but you know um, I had uh, some uh, spots some some beds in a, in a tunnel that were hand harvested from the trial and then I had my beds that were just cut clean across the bottom and the regrowth on the beds that was cut clean was minimal. I mean, when you're damaging those those new little leaves that are starting to grow, um, they took that spinach plant so much work to grow those little leaves because daylight's limited, heat's limited. And um, so when you nip off those little tiny leaves, man, you really shoot yourself in the foot on yields. So yeah, after the first year of, of hand picking um, with those trials, 
I just switched all the hand picking now and and um I I think that's a, a good way to go. We use those little Victorinox or whatever those little red knives that are serrated. They probably have a three inch blade um, and you can go pretty quick with those but one leaf at a time definitely. I always tell the people don't cut like I cut because um, I'm if I'm cutting it usually means I'm in quite a hurry and but if you do the one at a time you get to just pick those big leaves um, sometimes when we're getting in January February we have what we call the big leaf pick the medium cut and then the heavy cut and obviously the more you can do the big leaf cut the faster it adds up the more you're saving the leaves like Chris would say and then um, usually kind of in January you start having to cut more medium but you still, the better you can leave the leaves, the quicker they come back. And once for us, once we hit very early February is when we get our, can start actually, you know, I go through every week and I kind of estimate how much I have. And it, that number doesn't really start climbing until February. You can start to see the, the spinach starting to inch up and add some growth. Um, so we do the one leaf at a time, except if we're doing our what our final cut is, then it's the clean cut, and then you're taking everything and trying to do it as quick as you can without getting the yellow leaves. But our goal is to, um, you know, we we try to, well, we tell the customer this sometimes, but we try to um, have the best and charge the most. You know, it seems to they they have trouble arguing with that. You know, um, so by doing one leaf at a time, you got nicer looking spinach. Um, big leaves are nice. Restaurants like them; they're easier for them to to take the veins off. So, so, so here's my um, my test for each of you. Uh, so, winter spinach grown in a high tunnel is totally different than the spinach that customers these days are used to, and that's baby spinach in a in a bag. Um, so, here's your your chance. You just get a minute to explain to a customer why winter spinach is different and why it's so much better. I would say. Um, you know, just like, 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 uh, when, when I first started farming, I didn't really get the difference between, um, like maybe a cauliflower that was like a 56 day cauliflower versus the 80 day cauliflower. Like, why would you ever plant the 80 day cauliflower, right? When you can just harvest it in 56 to 60 days, but you know, good things come to those who wait. And when that plant gets, um, gets a little bigger, uh, and can can really put some put some flavor into the the part that you eat. Um, I mean, it's almost always better. Uh, that 56 day cauliflower is gonna be meh, it's gonna be okay, but that 80 day cauliflower is gonna knock your socks off. So same with the winter spinach. I feel like you know eat, you eat it when it's big, and um, yeah, it it's got way more flavor and 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 a better texture than those little tiny baby ones that haven't even really got a chance to get rolling yet. That's um, pretty good. Bill, can you do better? Well, well, yeah, no, I don't Well, I can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, uh, actually Chris has got it colder than I do. So he can have sweeter spinach than I do if he, if he does everything. But um, since all my customers are at market, all I just do is give them a leaf and that's all you have to do to sell it. Um, and give it to their kid that's even better yet because they'll freak out that their kids eating a vegetable um i think it was may 99 issue there used to be a magazine called gourmet magazine which was a big foodie magazine and it was a nationwide but somebody in the ritz in chicago was using our stems and the, you know the restaurants take off stems just because they take longer to cook and the stems are the actual sweetest part 
So we sometimes even just sample the stems just to get people attention. But all we do, we just sample it. I then I go on to sampling the next person, and eventually they just come back, or they, you know, that's just give them a taste. That's always the best sell. How are you marketing it? You said something about CSAs, and and this is both for Bill and Chris, but maybe Bill could start. How are you marketing your winter spinach? Um, well, my wife and I were managers of the Dane County Farmers Market in 2000 through 2002. And that's, um, that was soon after we started growing spinach all winter. We had had someone who had our spinach in the spring. The first time I had it, I took it to a restaurant before market started and he had said it was the best he'd ever had. He'd take it all year next year. And then we would start selling it in late April at the market. And then someone else knew we had it in the winter and said, hey, I put eggs on my porch. This was like 97 maybe. And says, I put eggs on my porch. Can we buy spinach? And I'll put it on my porch for my neighbors to pick up. So that kind of started our, our spinach CSA. But then we started winter market in 2002. And um, I said, all, it's all just by sampling. Just, and as, as we've had market, we quit doing restaurants slowly because they always switch chefs and you got to train a new chef, um, as I like to call it. But it's just, it was just sampling spinach. It's just, you know, either guilt they buy it or they like it. You know, I don't care which way it is. Um, you know, they just, that's all it is, is just, and now that we're cutting back, I mean, with Downey Mildew, I think we told our CSA people that we had to cut back. So we raised our price from $11 a pound to 13 to hope a lot of them would drop out. Um, wait, just so wait, we'd can, have you, enough. can you repeat those numbers? <laughs> yeah, exactly. we, we, we raised our price because we were cutting back, growing like 80%. Uh, we raised our price from 11 to $13 a pound. Um, yeah, okay. that's when I saw 450 on your reports. I was kind of yeah. like, what? <laughs> well, so uh, Chris, did you, so, Chris, did you hear those numbers? Duly What's noted. Duly noted. <laughs> well, back, back, the chef that told me you could take it all winter, we were at 350 a pound then, and that had to be 95. And he actually... Race, he said, well, no, I should be paying you four or five. And he, he must've known more, like he wanted that product. He wanted everything I could grow. So he's like, here, I'm gonna pay you for it. So he raised our price from 350 to five on us. And or I no, 350 to six. So the first year we used to just chop it off, throw it in a bag and take it in and not even wash it. And then, so that fall, the next year I said, well, what makes it worth six now? He goes, if there's no stem and it's washed. And so that's when I realized that with the hoops and you kind of, it's just, I can only grow so much in a hoop. So I want to add all the value I can to everything I grow in it. That's so we take it clean, uh, not a lot. There's hardly any stem, even though that's the sweetest part. But anyway, we raised our price trying to get people to drop off. So I still have some at market. Well, not enough, not enough people dropped out. So at market, I had to start taking pre-orders. I'd send out an email and people have to sign up and nobody wants to get on more email lists, but they would, if they saw me giving people spinach at market and they couldn't buy any, they, they got on the list. And so what was really, now I'm thankful for spinach downy mildew because when our market got canceled in mid, uh, mid-March, because we sell every week all winter, a hundred some pounds of spinach at market, um, then I had the email list of 500. And so I was able to just still sell to people 
um, during uh, when we were shut down, I was able to still process orders to set up, did some very quick acting, set up sites. And we had told our people when we first started raising the price that we were going to raise at 50 cents a pound a year and we're going to make them buy other stuff. And we still can't get people to drop out. So this year our CSA will be 14.50 a pound and our market price will be 14 a pound. Wow. But again, they don't have to wash it. it. It lasts, well, we tell them it lasts two weeks, but it usually, I mean, really it's three weeks. So, I mean, if you cut it right and treat it right, it'll last. I mean, Chris could tell you that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool. One of the things that um, our, our farm has focused on with the high tunnel crops and field crops is crops that aren't fussy that, that you can put them in the cooler and you're okay for a week or so. You know, you don't have to, it's not like raspberries where for crying out loud, somebody better eat them like within 48 hours of them getting picked or it's just a waste of time. So yeah, I really like that about the spinach. Um, our, our spinach price is right about eight bucks a pound um, that, that, that we've been selling it for. Um, and then it's getting marked up from there, uh, you know, to, to whoever. So we usually sell in a, like a six ounce bag. Um, so yeah, it's so somewhere between eight and nine bucks a pound now. But um, yeah, I think yeah, it's it's a premium product, and I think it's fair for us to to charge a a better price for it. And it's different; it's a totally different product than that baby leaf mechanically harvested California stuff. Um, and you know, it's 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 I think it's really interesting. I get a lot of feedback that, like like Bill said. Uh, some people will, will, will get uh, spinach and they'll get two bags because their kids want to eat a bag on the way home like it's potato chips or something. It's, it's so sweet and good. Um, and uh, mostly we sell our, our spinach through CSA. Um, and um, then we sell whatever is left over um, wholesale. And um, it's, it's a little bit trickier for us up here because without heating our tunnels at all for harvest um it it's it's really variable the time that we can pick our um our spinach so our our um our winter csa runs from november to march but you know it needs to be picked on a you know by a certain time to be ready and yeah you, you can hold it in the cooler for a week you know or 10 days beforehand if, if the weather warms up, but sometimes we're just locked down and it's way too cold to go pick spinach. So then, you know, there's, there's no spinach to sell CSA. Um, and then when it does warm up, we'll move it out wholesale, but everybody loves it. Nobody else has winter spinach and um, it's pretty easy product to move. So yeah, I would agree with Bill. If, if I was younger and if I wanted to be crazy and there was no spinach downy mildew, Chris, you're, you're younger, but there's spinach downy mildew. You could, you could play. <laughs> I don't want to be crazy though, Bill. That's, that's the <laughs> no, but, but I mean, I, you know, that's, it's just a product that's not out there. If you wanted to grow a hundred yeah. hoop houses of it, you could, I mean, it's, there's just not another product that's out there. You can't, I wanted to ship it to California, but I can't. I did for a couple of customers, but the dogs sniffed it at the border. And I was like, dude, shouldn't the dogs be sniffing what's going out? You know, and um, so we actually got a letter from the California Department of, you know, 
egg that we can't ship spinach unless we go through a process. But I thought it'd be cool to be shipping spinach to California because that's <laughs> where it all comes from. Right. But, Here's um, what spinach is supposed to taste like. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so it, the there's, favor. It, there's, there's no other product like that. I mean, there's a few farmers now doing it around here and you see it in the co-op a little bit, but in the in the weekly newsletter from the co-op, you always hear the customer complaining, why I can buy it at market, why can't I buy it at the co-op? And the co-op says, well, he can get full price at market. You know, here you can bring it to us, but he's not gonna get full price. So like Chris said, unless he's got that little bit of glut, he's not wholesaling it. So it's, it's just not another product out there. So right. marketing um, is not a problem. You don't have to answer this question if you don't want to, because it's, it's a little personal, but, um, Let's take a, a bed of spinach, three feet wide, 96 feet long. If, if you've crunched the numbers, what, what kind of returns might you expect off that one bed, bed of spinach? Are we talking $100 per bed, $1,000? It's one of those crops that works. Um, it's, it's pretty, you know, it's, it's undercover and protected. And it's, you know, you can sell thousands of dollars of it. And um, it didn't take expensive tractors. It didn't take a lot of work to do. You just kind of have to seed it and then go pick it on a sunny day. So I haven't really, it's not one of those things that's like high on the laundry list to evaluate, hmm, is this one really worth it? Or let's really get down to the nitty gritty. I mean, we, we're growing, you know, for CSA. So it's a big array of different crops. So, you know, usually I'm, I'm more bringing the magnifying glass on the ones that are making me cuss a lot and seem expensive and don't have the best return. I haven't really put the put the tight look down on the spinach yet because it if it ain't broke, I don't I got other things to fix, you know. Um, well, we do four foot beds, so and then they're in ninety in, a, in our ninety five. We don't plant the last five feet on each side, uh, so it'd be what a four by eighty five. Um, if everything goes right, and you can ask Chris, that always happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> if everything goes right, we might get 200 pounds off of a bed. Um, so that would be, you know, a 10,000 out of a hoop in the winter. But again, for us to get that much, we've, we've had to quit harvesting tomatoes in mid, mid to late August. We've had to prep that bed. We plant in early September, and we're, that means to get that 200 pounds, that's the beds we're still harvesting in, in early May. So that's uh, that's uh, nine months, eight months, whatever it is. Um, so that's a lot of time in the ground. So, you know, you think of arugula, you can plant arugula quite a few times in that point and get less per crop, but more in that time frame. But again, once you've got the bed up, and uh, do you have chickweed at your place, Chris? No. Uh -uh. In the hoops? Oh, wow. Never mind then. But anyway, so, but then you, that means you've got all that time of, of weeding in there. You got degunking. So I guess that'd be 2000 a bed if we can get to 200 pounds. That doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, cause you have to do go through in the winter and then you're going to get the aphids coming out big time. Yours, mine come in late February, early March. Does that put you in mid March to late March when your aphids start coming, Chris? Yeah, it, 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 it really depends. Some years they're not much and, and some years they, when when we did those heat trials, there was more degree days, you know, and so things were warming up and they like that. But normally we're a little cooler so we can we can we can skirt by um, a little longer without having aphid problems and some years it's really it's minimal, you know, 
So that yeah, the perfect bed would get you two thousand, but perfect doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, or all that much. So in in terms of you know like a supply chain for larger scale spinach production, say more than CSA, does it does it work? Do you think to to put up high tunnels to grow winter spinach and that's your main crop, and then the summer is you figured out? Versus now it seems like you put up a high tunnel because you've got a summer crop you can grow and sell, and then you just tack on winter spinach because you can. Well, does the other way around work, do you think? Or do you have to have a good summer crop that you can sell to justify putting up these high tunnels? I think it just really depends on, on your market. You know, if, if for us, we can sell, you know, like about $10,000 worth of tomatoes pretty easily out of a tunnel during the, during the summer. And then, you know, roughly it, it's about five to 6,000 probably that of worth of spinach that comes out of the tunnel in, in the winter, just kind of real rough. But so in the, you know, just looking at the numbers that way, juice to squeeze makes more sense for us. If we're just going to grow one crop to focus on that summer crop and then get the leftovers off the winter spinach, just to kind of keep some revenue coming in and, and keep that structure trying to pay for itself a little better for us up here. You know, because our growing season is is um, is is pretty cold in the winter, and that that spinach isn't doing much regrowth at all in January and February, and we're fighting against. You know, you don't want to have it be too big going into January and February because it gets so cold that you'll get some 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 tip burn um, off of the the bigger leaves. Seem to have more more susceptibility to cold damage versus if you take it in a little smaller. And then, and then pick it, you know, maybe a little bit in November and then start up again, in kind of the third week of March or so, you know, that, that seems like a, like a, like a, a good system for our climate and, and also our markets really. Yeah, I would think that, you know, tomatoes are much more valuable up there in August than they are down here. Mm -hmm. um, because you know, I, I don't even know if outside tomatoes always make it up in Ashland or nope. no, no. <laughs> so that, that's no up here, you know, when mid, mid August comes, you know, you, people are giving away tomatoes. We try not to, so I try to be done with that. So we do have that different season, but I have slowly been going, like I said, for years, I thought I'd accept that I really enjoy selling tomatoes being somewhat of a smart ass. I know that's hard to, see that but um selling tomatoes and sun golds at market um sun golds are just pure candy if you do them right and cut back on the water but really this year is making us focus and i'm thinking more of it that i'm just focusing on fall growing all my kale and collard and charred crops carrots they're they're out of the ground and just trying to be done in june to early july because like i said we got the largest farmers market in the u.s i don't do a summer csa that you know, come, come August, nothing's new. Everybody's got everything and the price plummets. So, and it's really, really hot. You know, I'd rather not, I'd rather be, you know, work from like, you know, six in the morning to about noon and jump in my little fifth, you know, my little four foot deep swimming pool and cool off and then come back in the house. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in my sixties, so I got to slow down at some point. Um, but, um, I, so we're focusing more on not doing the summer crop, but we have enough hoops that in the past I'd do three or four in the summer of tomatoes and and that would be my only summer crop. But this 
winter and spring crops seem to be best. And the last time I gave a workshop at Moses, you know, I said, they're no longer season extenders. We're adding a season. We're not extending a season. We're just adding winter before, you know, they were considered early and late. And, you know, with Chris being up in the Arctic Circle or close to it, that, um, you know, that, that winter one is tough and those big leaves do get brown tipped. And, but when we do grow the spinach, we grow it as slow as possible. Um, we're airing it, we're opening up our tunnels every day. Well, the inside tunnel, we open up pretty much every day. If it's, gonna, if it's only gonna get down to the 20s, we leave it open. Um, we'll even keep our end walls somewhat open a little bit to let cool air in, because heat can kill it. And when you get, you know, some of that big leaf tip burning is from if, if it's gotten too hot and grown a little too fast in the last week, then mm -hmm. that gets way too tender and that'll give you your tip burn. And so, um, you know, come March, if it's above 20, we leave everything wide open as possible. We don't have roll up sides. We just roll up our ends um, and keep our inside tunnels open. But most of the time nowadays they're open. But when Chris was talking earlier, I'm gonna keep rambling, sorry. When, when he was talking earlier about setting the snow, when we had that polar vortex, usually the coldest weather follows the snow for us. And I'll leave the snow on my hoops because that gives me insulation. So we had a, the, the 20 some below we had, which um, for us is rare, um, we had 25 below with the, about six inches of snow on my hoop and that inside cover, um, my hoops in one area, which is a little more level than the other, only got down to 18 at night, um, nice. which is phenomenal. So you're dressing for 25 below, and by the time you get in the hoop, you're sweating because it's 18. But so we use the snow as insulation because usually the cold follows the snow. Um, but then at some point, you need the light to come in. You know, that's that times I did have to turn on my heaters because it was dark in there. But I, I tried to barely thaw it out because I wanted it to stay. I didn't want to melt the snow off my hoops. Smart. Thanks. I'm not often well. accused of that. <laughs> and I just, you know, I just want to add as, as we're getting ready here to probably to near the end, it, it's just really interesting to me, the difference in the growing seasons. And I mean, I know that is with all crops, but even having these high tunnels or hoop houses, um, you know, it, just in Wisconsin alone, Bill, from where you're located a little south, Chris, up, up to the north, it's, it's been very interesting to, to hear just the different um, methods and and uh, things you like to see or don't see based on your location. Yeah, one of the things with with, with that snow and what what uh, what Bill was saying. Yeah, for 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 a light snow like that, I I don't mind leaving that you know on top of a house, especially overnight and when it's going to be getting cold. And then um, then I'll I'll we we've had you know some pretty big snow events and snows kind of a lot, and so um in a hurry all that snow sheds off the roof and and it can pile up to be six seven feet tall you know in short order that puts a lot of pressure on the sidewalls pushing in and so you sort of have to be a little bit careful when you're when you're removing that snow um so that you don't you don't plow out one side of a tunnel that's you know got eight feet of snow off you know banked up the side and then the other side of the tunnel with the eight feet of snow pushes on it and then the the whole thing, I mean, this has happened to a number of growers up here. The whole thing just warm, slides off to the south if you pull the south side out first. So, yeah, I think um, 
when, when you've got smaller amounts of snow, you can use that to your advantage. And, and a lot of times right before um, a snow, uh, I'll go plow and, and, and move the old stuff that's there. So the new stuff will come and fall. And then it'll be two feet, you know, three feet high on the sidewalls. And that'll kind of help protect the cold from, from sneaking in quite so fast along the edges. Once all that snow, once all that fresh snow slides off the tunnel, and then it's got a nice, nice layer of insulation. Um, the, the only, you know, other consideration with that is really good drainage around the outside of your tunnel. And I guess that's, that's probably true for uh, whether you get a lot of snow or, or just rain or, you know, any kind of a mix, but really making sure that anything that's melting along the outside is not draining into your tunnel and making those outside beds all wet because that's going to, once that soil's cold and wet, that spinach is just going to sit there. I mean, any, any crop is going to, but that spinach is going to too. Um, and so really try and slope that ground away so that, you know, that snow melt runoff, it, it's not making wet spots in your, in your tunnel. The other thing that comes into those wet spots is slugs. And you don't want that on those nice, big, pretty spinach leaves, um, making holes in them and stuff. So yeah, I guess one more consideration. Always things to consider. Yeah, because we have, um, we were kind of in a bowl that faces south. And when we moved to this place in 95, we built, and that's really before there's all the talks of um, site preparation. So our, our north beds definitely get um, pretty wet. In fact, starting in November, we don't water the north beds at all. You know, I mean, it's hard enough to sneak into water when we need to in the winter, but mm -hmm. we definitely get a lot of sneaking in. So, you know, I definitely, the site prep is important, but cause we get less production on the North, but we just quit watering them at a certain point and go, go four or five months without watering them. Um, one thing that's funny is, uh, you know, um, with that the water in the, in the high tunnel, it seems like it's such a pain in the butt when it's, you know, 15 below or whatever. And you, you don't want to go outside and think about watering. Um, but you know, it's, 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 it's one more step, making sure your hydrants stand thawed and drained and making sure you drain out your line, you know, be, before you, it gets cold again and it all freezes up. Um, so that's, that's, that's another expense that, you know, has to be figured into your, into your price. Um, Another thing that, that we did here, because we do have such a long winter, is uh, we oriented our all of our high tunnels um, east-west, so they got a great big south wall. And uh, our wind comes mostly from the west in the summer, so we can open up the ends and they ventilate really good. And then in the wintertime, we got that big south face that's really soaking up the rays because um, yet is zero sun you know coming from the north side so we want to really maximize the amount of light that gets in there um especially during the winter because yeah it's it's a, it's at such a premium there's only a few hours of it and, and really try and catch as much as we can yeah that's you that's guys... a real important point chris what can i just i'm gonna sorry yeah. i'm not gonna ask i'm just gonna keep talking um <laughs> that, the, the, the point Chris made is what, you know, even when I was given my first workshop, I think in 93, I said east-west, because then at least you're getting the maximum amount of sun. But the greenhouse people would swear you got to go north-south. And and there was more greenhouse people than there was hoop people at the time. And it's, um, and 
Chris is so right. You get the max sun absorption if you're east-west. And, um, and with a greenhouse, you want even light on all your plants, and that's why they'll go north-south. But, you know, there's still some hoop house or high tunnel people that will disagree with the east-west, but I can't imagine putting one any other way. Um, we're, we got some that slope. We're slightly facing a little bit north of east on a couple, and they warm up a lot faster, but they cool down faster, but it's mainly east-west. Well, you guys did a great job. It's so fun interviewing, you know, farmers that are out there figuring this stuff out and on, on, on the cutting edge. So <laughs> any last words of advice for our podcast listeners about winter spinach before we uh, wrap it up? Um, I would say just one, one thing I guess I didn't talk about was, um, was row covers. And we don't have a substructure inside like Bill does, but I do use row cover, usually heavyweight row cover. And, um, and sometimes two or three layers when it's wicked cold at night. And then, um, then as soon as it's, it's warming up though, just like Bill said, even if it's, it's not plastic, it's still letting some ventilation through, but man, you still got to go pull that stuff and, 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 and make sure the, those leaves are able to get to that sun and that they're not sitting around all humid. Um, and, um, I think for us, I, I, I tried plastic before and, um, it was trapping in a lot of humidity. I was having a lot more like uh, leaf disease pressure in general. And I feel like when I switched to the, to the row cover at night, um, even sometimes doubled up or, or tripled up, then most of that went away, but I can still, um, still get away with having a little bit bigger leaf and, and less tip burn. But um but anyways, yeah, I, I just want to throw that out. Row cover can work pretty good too, but don't don't leave it right on your plants. When we first started, we just drug it right over the plants, and then it kind of freezes and sticks to the leaf, and it doesn't, you know, you don't get that envelope of air underneath of the the row cover between the row cover and the ground that the spinach is protected in. So really, make make a nice a nice hoop structure under there to to put your row cover over. Don't let it touch those big leaves and yeah, I mean, just go plant some. You'll be surprised how well it grows, really. <laughs> Bill, any last words? Yeah, um, probably I would say in the early 2000s when I gave a workshop, my first slide would say, um, why take winters off when you can work? Um, <laughs> and so um, it's just, if you're going to do it, you got, it's, you know, that's why a lot of farmers don't necessarily want to do hoops all winter because they want to break. Um, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to spend the time to do it and you'll learn a lot just by doing it, but you'll have to be out there. You know, I don't have to go out every day. I just don't know which days I do or don't can't go out. It depends on the sun and the clouds. So, um, if you do it, just know that you're going to be going out, but Hey, good vitamin D, you know, it's, it's good to be out in the winter. It shortens winter up a lot for me. Um, so. I assume it shortens your winter up going out in, in March hitting 80 degrees in your hoop and you feel it's warm again. Yeah, it feels really nice. That feels a lot better than when you go out in January and you get those 35 degree drips of water that drip off the, the roof and come right down the back of your neck of your jacket. That's not the fun part, but like, like Bill said, I mean, you want to ex extend your season. You're extending your season. That means you better either you or your employees are going to have to be out there working in January and February. So somebody's got to do the work, but yeah, I mean, I feel like 
it's worth it. You already have that high tunnel structure and it's a pretty easy product to market. It's pretty straightforward to grow. But yeah, like, like I would agree with Bill, you're going to put in a little bit of time. Thanks, guys, for your time telling us about winter spinach. This has been great. And thank you, listeners, for listening to The Cutting Edge, a podcast in search of new crops for Wisconsin. Brought to you by the University of Wisconsin-Madison Division of Extension.